0: I think start with taking up a lead position, pretty much what you said. That's a natural transition, right? Start as an IC, start leading an effort, and then slowly transition into management. Definitely take things slow and do things deliberately. By that, I mean, don't take the decision lightly.
1: Welcome to Getting into Infosec. I'm your host Amon Alswa. My guest this week is Nero Ragubati. Nero is a security engineer at Google and is currently a tech lead manager. In today's episode, Nero will share her journey and learnings, and talk about how she transitioned from an engineer to becoming a tech lead manager.
0: When I graduated from high school, I was initially planning to go into biotech. Okay. And unfortunately, I think my parents felt that it wouldn't be the best career opportunity and wanted me to consider engineering, especially a degree in computer science instead.
1: Although Nero planned on going into biotech after graduating high school, her parents encouraged her to take computer science instead. Nero eventually found her home in security and takes full delight in it. Her experiences and struggles will surely inspire you in transitioning and growing in the field.
0: I've learned many things from folks outside of security where they've talked about mitigations that I wasn't aware of. They've explained things about JavaScript, which I wouldn't have known about, Mm -hmm. and they knew about because they work with it on a constant basis and they were up to date. And stuff like that is always a great opportunity for us to also learn from others and engage in a dialogue and figure out solutions. But keep in mind, always present yourself as being a part of their team. Don't make it us versus them.
1: Neera also shares her thoughts as a mentor as well as from a mentee perspective. I know you'll love this episode with Niro as she shares her motivating journey, tips, and learnings in the industry. All right, on to the show. Hi, Niro, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Eamon. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming on. Been looking forward to this episode for a while. So for those out there that don't know you, maybe you can tell us a little about who you are and what you do today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm a security engineer at Google and I work on the offensive security team. So that means I work on team exercises, so I lead them, I participate in them, and we simulate adversaries trying to achieve goals. Currently, I'm a tech lead manager, and I lead part of the team in the Bay Area. So I'm also dabbling a bit in managing right now.
1: Oh, okay. And how has that been?
0: It's been a very interesting ride. I think managing is something which is a very undervalued skill in tech, Mm -hmm. and it's definitely got its own set of challenges because there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution to it. And you kind of have to cater to each person and make sure you're setting them up for success. It's very rewarding, but it's definitely something you have to invest time and effort in.
1: Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. Like, There are a lot of engineers out there that want to eventually go to management and sometimes struggle trying to get to that role, going from an engineer to a lead to a, or site manager now. Uh, what What is something that you can share uh, as far as, and I know it's it's different at Google. I have friends there and the structure is a little different there. But in general,
0: mm-hmm.
1: what is something that you could share for folks that are looking to eventually go to management from an engineering role?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think start with taking up a lead position, pretty much what you said. Mm. That's a natural transition, right? Start as an IC start leading an effort and then slowly transition into management definitely take things slow and do things deliberately by that i mean don't take the decision lightly okay talk to people about what they like about management what they don't like about it and as you kind of grow into that role as a lead and start transitioning into a manager start weighing like what you like about the the role or what you might not like about the role and this kind of applies to any major decision in your career right yeah Uh, you have to weigh the pros and cons and see how it helps you whether this is the right amount of work for you that you can cope with kind of like how do I put this there's always going to be a fraction of your work that you might not enjoy right Mm -hmm. and you kind of have to put it down as a percentage and be like well I'm okay with doing 20% of work which is a little bit of a chore to me. But I'm fine with it. I I understand that's important and I understand I'm okay with it. I'm not saying any part of management is a chore, but there's likely parts of it that you might not enjoy as much as others. And you kind of have to put it down as a list and make sure that this is something you're okay with doing and you're taking a very conscious decision to do it.
1: Okay. Yeah. Not taking it lightly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of engineers that have done management and then found that they'd rather go back to engineering <laughs> and become ICs. So like you said, it has its rewards, but it's a whole package, I guess you would say.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, engineers who decide to uh, you know, take a step back from management, go back to an IC role, I absolutely respect that decision. Because if you feel like this is not the right role for you, you can't give it your best. And if you're not enjoying it, you're not going to be able to help people to the best effort possible. So it's okay to take a step back and say, hey, this is not the right thing for me. And that applies to any role. For management in particular, I think having some background in mentoring or finding like your cornerstone of what you enjoy the most in management is really important. Mm. For me, I think mentoring as well as watching people grow in their career is something I really enjoy watching and investing time in. And that was what drew me towards management.
1: Okay, that's awesome. That's awesome. So give us a little background. How did you get started in tech? And how did you, you know, were you always in security or were you in general tech and then transition to security, Mm -hmm. walk us through that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So (laughs) it's a bit of a complicated story.
1: Yeah, we love Um, complicated stories here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So when I graduated from high school, I was initially planning to go into biotech. Okay. And unfortunately, I think my parents felt that it wouldn't be the best career opportunity and wanted me to consider engineering, especially a degree in computer science instead. Oh, okay. And I'm sure a lot of people from India probably relate to that, where parents typically do want you to cater towards roles that will set you up for success as you grow up. And
1: But biotech is a successful field, I know, or...
0: Well, Compared to computer science, I think the opportunities are a little bit more, were a little bit more limited, at least the time I was graduating, especially in India. Mm-hmm. So at least computer science, there were a lot more roles available around that time. Gotcha. So I understand the decision to do it. And I think as parents, they just want what was best for me. And when I started computer science, I found certain areas I really enjoyed. Yeah. But I hadn't found what would be like a passion project or something, which is just like, hey, this is really cool. And I love doing this and I want to do this. Right. So I kind of angled about trying to figure out what I liked in computer science. And I definitely wasn't one of those folks where, you know, security was just something they started very early and loved. I stumbled into it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So when I was interviewing for internships and full-time position towards the last year of my undergraduate studies, which was a bachelor's in engineering and computer science, and I started interviewing. And one of the interviews I did, the interviewers were basically like, hey, you should come on as a QA tester for us. And they offered a role for me in a tech firm. And when I showed up for my first day for my internship, the VP of uh, QA was basically like, hey, uh, so I read through your interview notes and it sounds like you have the mindset, which is the right mindset for security because you really like taking things apart. When we gave you a question, you really like digging into details and trying to articulate where things would break and I think you would be a good fit for security. Would you be willing to try it? There's only one other person in the team right now. Nice. Which is a little bit scary. Yeah. But I hadn't found anything I was super passionate about. So I was willing to give it a shot. I knew I wanted to like take things apart, test things or break things. But I had never considered security. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in hindsight, I don't know why. But once I started doing my internship, I started out by automating things to test web applications. And slowly towards the end of my internship, I transitioned into a role where I was actually doing the black box testing. And that's kind of when things really
2: clicked.
0: And I absolutely enjoyed what I was doing. I was like, Oh my God, what does this do? How does web work? Why is this this way? Oh my God, this XSS triggered. And like, it was just, I suddenly found like the sense of belonging or just something I really enjoyed and things just fell into place. And from there, I realized that while I had studied computer science, I didn't understand it at a fundamental level. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to dig deeper and, you know, go back to school and learn security. So I applied for a master's, ended up going to Georgia Tech for a master's in computer science with a specialization in security. Mm-hmm. And I really, really enjoy just diving into those security courses. And more than that, just a sense of community where there were a bunch of people who are really interested in security, right? So I really got interested in security, met a lot of people who are similar. And that just lights a fire yeah. when you come across other people who are just as passionate and you start bouncing ideas of each other, learning from each other. And from there, I kind of did an internship and a full-time gig in consulting for a bit.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Unfortunately, that wasn't uh, the right role for me. And after that, I interviewed and landed my position at Google. I started out by doing like assessments or black box, white box testing and helped run the program for vendor security stuff. And now I work on team exercises full time. So it's been a journey. But as you can see, like throughout it, once I found that I liked security, yeah, I kind of just stuck to breaking side of things because for me, at least I love taking a look at systems, understanding how they work, taking them apart and I guess breaking them <laughs>
1: Nice. Yeah. So thank you to your parents for having the vision of sending you into the computer science direction. (laughs) So that's awesome. Sometimes you hear parents doing the opposite. That's great. But the fact that you stumbled into it, I mean, even though we're in it right now, but it's like security still seems to be this like hidden niche that is not really easy to discover, would you say?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think even within computer science, there are a lot more... I think it ebbs and flows, right? right? There'll be some buzzword or specific area that just becomes really famous for a bit. Like IoT was something everyone was talking about for a bit. Mm-hmm. Then there was machine learning. I'm not saying any of these fields aren't great fields. I'm just saying they ebb and flow in terms of popularity with other folks. And I definitely saw like schools trying to offer those courses... Security was always there. Mm -hmm. Like crypto was like courses that were offered in schools or database security, or one-off courses offered here and there, but they don't necessarily dive into as much details as some of the specialized courses for machine learning or IoT, at least in my undergrad, they didn't. In the grad school, I think you had a little bit more leeway to go about it. Yeah. I'd say... It really depends on the school though, I mean, because there are some schools which have like really nice security clubs and Georgia Tech had security has a security club called Hat. Mm. And I think that that sense of community or having some kind of like grassroots initiatives in those schools alongside good courses, I think does make people gravitate towards more security initiatives. And these days I'd say, a lot of people kind of stumble into security very early. Yeah. Like they discover things either by, you know, CTFs, war games, playing around with the games, taking things apart in games. I think that still exists a lot, but people consciously like taking an opportunity to explore security has gone up, but not to the extent of some of the other fields in tech, probably.
1: Okay. So I'd like to talk about that topic, you know, education, the formal education for cybersecurity. It's a little bit of a somewhat controversial topic, but instead of seeing it as controversial for this discussion, I think our job is to just help people, right? Mm -hmm. If they want to go to school, then that's fine. But I think you touched upon something really important there where like the actual extracurricular activities, like the clubs, and how the school teaches it are the differentiating factors. So, you know, from a weight as far as the courses and the community, what are some things for folks out there to look for? And then I'd like to explore other alternative education paths that someone can take instead of spending the time into a master's course. It's kind of a deep topic, mm-hmm. but part of it, I think, is how you learn things, right? Yep. So that's really, and, you know, Marcus Carey really talks about like, you know, how to learn, but from your experience and given the current job market, and I see people all the time wanting to go back to school and then people saying, no, you don't need to go back to school. So let's take both sides. And from your experience, since you've done that already, mm-hmm. what are some things you could talk about in that from, and offer your advice?
0: Yeah. Plus one to what you said (laughs) about people learn differently. I think oftentimes... People tend to say, "Don't go to school. You can learn everything you want outside of school." Mm-hmm. But you have to take into consideration that different people learn differently, and I'm definitely one of those folks who like structured learning. I like coursework. I like things being structured and having deadlines, having you know right. assignments. A full disclosure: I have ADHD, so I think that sense of structure really gives me something to work towards and good guidelines to work within. The other aspect I would probably say is going back to school is a decision that every individual should take by them, like take for themselves. Mm-hmm. What works for someone might not work for you. There are many things to take into consideration. One is you are going to be spending, especially for a master's, you're going back to school, gonna be spending two years if you're gonna do a PhD on top of that, I don't know, four or five years. <laughs> and in addition to time, it is also like an investment of sorts, right? You are paying for it. So it depends on where you are financially. Uh, can you afford it? Can you take a loan? How long is going to take you to repay it? Right. Um, people don't often talk about that part of it. Yeah. So I would definitely say, please take that decision. Don't take it lightly. Weigh your pros and cons. Do apply for financial aid and have that factor into your decision. I would say that going to school opened more opportunities for me personally Mm. but that differs from person to person i don't think like there are many people i work alongside who haven't done a master's who haven't done undergrad degrees either and they're great at their job. right i think it really depends on how you learn some folks really do well with just taking all the resources we have available blogs, bug bounty programs, CTS, war games, and learning from it, applying it, digging deep into it. Others prefer structured learning. So figure out what works for you and go from there. And if you feel that a degree is going to open doors for you and you have the time and the means to do it, go for it. And at least for me, like having that master's in security added a lot of credibility for me in some of the earlier roles I was searching for. Hmm. Thankfully, I think a lot of things are changing and there are a lot more junior friendly security positions opening up in many companies because I think people took a hard look at the roles they needed and realized they don't have enough people to fill it and said, oh, we're going to start training people. That's great to see. I'm really happy that as an industry, we're trying to hire in junior talent and teach them the skills they need and grow them in their career. So I would say that these are good options. I uh, haven't dabbled too much in certification, so I can't necessarily talk about it in depth. <laughs> the only one I've personally done is OSCP, mm-hmm. and I definitely enjoy the hands-on aspect of it. I do know that SANS offers some great courses, and Coursera and a lot of other platforms are offering great courses online. There's a really good Stanford uh, web application security course, for example, which I've listened to on and off recently. And I really enjoyed it and it dives very deep into all of the aspects of web and it's very up to date. Oh, okay. So it's awesome that these kind of opportunities are available now, but it depends on you personally. Does it fit your style of learning? Does it fit your schedule? Then pick it up if it does.
1: Yeah, well said. Like you said, different people learn differently. So that's wonderful. Cool. So last we physically met... <laughs> It was at the Day of Security Conference in San Francisco, and you gave a wonderful talk on mentoring. I really appreciated it. I know mentoring is a big passion for you. You're a member of a variety of groups. Maybe if you could share with the audience what you've done lately with mentoring and various groups that are out there that you're uh, participating with and some insights and we could take it from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Talking about meeting in person, that feels (laughs) like it was so long ago so
1: long ago
2: right
0: (laughs) and I think the last time I met people in person for like security stuff was like besides sfcda I mean sf and just things started closing down after that yeah but back to topic mentoring is something I really enjoy and I feel very passionate about because I wouldn't be here if it weren't for people taking time to kind of like mentor me help me through a lot of personal and career struggles, I would say. Mm -hmm. And for me, this is a way of giving back, I guess. And also just realizing I wouldn't be here if those folks hadn't taken the time to set me up for success. And I want to do the same for others, especially coming from like underrepresented groups. I think having someone take the time to like walk you through and offer like a no judgment (laughs) space to just give you answers and help you work through what you are thinking about is really helpful.
1: What's an example that you could share Mm -hmm. either that you've helped someone or maybe someone has helped you
2: with?
0: Let me go with the someone has helped me with. I've had the good fortune of having good mentors in all three of my roles so far. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk about my mentors at Google just because (laughs) it's (laughs) my longest role so far. I've been at Google for five years. right? And right from day one, I've had a mentor at Google. Phil Ames, and he's helped me tremendously. (laughs) I didn't have the most tactful way of responding to some of the security questions I would get sometimes. He helped me rephrase things and be firm, but articulated in a way where I would address the problem and not address it as the people. Again, I didn't ever consciously try to do it, but it was good to have someone kind of walk me through it, help me with that. He's helped me with everything right from, hey, should I be a lead these are things that I'm thinking about. This is why I'm anxious about taking on additional responsibilities. How do I push back in this particular scenario all the way to kind of helping me speak up in meetings or backing me up to in harder situations where I, where I felt, hey, can you just be an extra person in the room where, you know, this is what I'm going to articulate, but I just want someone to weigh in and provide an outside opinion from what I'm offering and uh, keep me honest. So things like that, he's always like been willing to step up and help me through it. And there are many other folks at Google who also help me. I'm sorry if I'm not gonna go through that exhaustive list right now. Mm-hmm. And you happen to listen to this. Sorry guys. But I've had the good fortune of like people helping me pretty much with everything and offering a very no-judgment space where I can just tell them, hey, this is what I'm apprehensive about, this is what I'm anxious about. Do I do this? And they'll just help me brainstorm or kind of act as a sounding board for me to reason through it and say, hey, what do you enjoy about this? Why are you apprehensive? What do you like about it? What do you think you'll get out of it? And asking me those questions that I, I arrive at those conclusions and I'm not pushed towards it, you know? And I really appreciate that. For me personally, I think I've tried to mentor people in uh, who are newer to Google. I've tried to mentor people who ask for help. There are currently, I think, three people I'm mentoring on a regular basis. I have either biweekly or... Once in three weeks, I have meetings with them where they can just use that time however they need to. They can ask me for help with what they're working on. They can ask me uh, stuff like, hey, I'm doing this particular project. How do I approach this? How do I articulate my input or output the best way possible here? Or they can ask me things like, hey, how do I communicate better? So it's really up to them. And I try to work alongside it. And if I feel like I'm not the best person to provide that for them, I usually introduce them to someone else who I know can better help them. So currently, that's kind of how I'm approaching it. In addition to this, like usually folks who I end up meeting in cons or through trainings that I offer occasionally through Black Hoodie or other venues, I usually give them my email or my Twitter handle, and they're welcome to reach out to me and ask questions. And I try to just answer them the best way I can and offer support. So I think try to do both ad hoc style as well as some more structured style of mentoring right now.
1: Okay. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. So I want to dig into those two topics you mentioned. One, speaking up or having the being backed up. Do you think that's common in security? For those out there that don't know, I mean, I I think sometimes security can be a lonely field in a way Mm -hmm. where you're often the one that's trying to get others to either change behavior or you're the one educating them, right? That takes some energy to do. Do you think that's common? It's good to have an ally to back you up and things like that?
0: Let me make sure I understand this. Yeah. Just to make sure I'm answering it correctly. I think you're referring to being in a company where you are working on the security team and you're offering security advice to other teams right. and you're working on a smaller team, then how do you best articulate that message and who do you work with as an ally?
1: Well, I guess there's two parts. Yeah. One is the approach. So you mentioned that your approach towards folks was, it needed some tuning, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that's common out there in the security field? And then the other part is the psychological drain as a security professional at a company working with other teams, you know, talking about that.
0: Yeah, thanks for clarifying. I think for the first part, it really depends on the person and their communication style. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I don't want to make a generalization. I'd say it really depends. But the nice thing is that a lot of folks are always willing to give you feedback and work with you if you're willing to listen and take advice and feedback. I think one piece of advice I can offer there is pretty much what was something I learned Address the problem, not the people
2: Mm, Yeah,
0: and um, always present it as a like, this is the problem I found, these are ways to fix it and then articulating what would be the risk if it's not going to be fixed, right? Like having it as a three part answer. Mm And don't speak in absolutes (laughs) if possible. Don't say this is very insecure or this is very hackable. Instead, just keep it a bit more objective. Like, hey, this does leave your system insecure because of these reasons. And this is how you can address it. So make it actionable feedback as well, where it feels less so as you as system and more so that, hey, I'm here to help and make things better. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one piece of advice I can definitely offer for the first part. For the second part, yes, there is a certain amount of strain if you articulate like your security advice and isn't taken into consideration. I would say that pick and choose your battles, right? There will be some cases where you have advice and that might not be taken into consideration. And there might be other cases where you feel very strongly and you want to push for it. Obviously, in those kind of cases, make sure you have buy-in from your reporting chain. Make sure that. You're working within the boundaries or what is the capabilities that your security team has. Yes, you can change it, but sometimes some stuff you kind of need support from above for you to affect change. Yeah. So don't burn out. Instead, speak up and ask for help from your reporting chain and with their buy-in, push for changes.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of folks that are security conscious, but don't have the necessarily upper management support Right. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to make their case. And you talked a little about quantifying risk from your experience. You know, when someone is pushing back on a finding that you've presented to them, Mm -hmm. how have you dealt with that? And what are some tips that you could share with folks that has been successful without necessarily escalating it to your management, right? To get them to understand your perspective, Mm -hmm. because they may push back and you're like, well, this is not a big risk. What are the chances? And, you know, sometimes quantifying risk is hard in in security. Any tips you could share on that?
0: Yeah, I think following the benchmark of like risk is what likelihood and impact, I believe, right?
2: Yeah, right. So
0: quantifying it in terms of like likelihood impact is usually something that resonates with most folks. Okay. And speak to your audience, right? Mm. Don't throw technical jargon at someone who isn't in the technical background. If you're speaking to stakeholders who might be, you know, executives or someone higher up, then speak in terms of business impact. Speak in terms of like what it would be, it, uh, the, put the risk in terms of business impact. If you're speaking to a technical audience, yes, go into details, but also make sure never talk down to people. Mm. <laughs> Obviously, that goes for any role, the security or otherwise, but make sure you're kind of like bringing them along, right? Say, hey, this is what I see as a risk, and this is ways to improve it. And if they push back and say, well, this is not actually a risk because of A, B, and C, then try to understand where they're coming from and then like, you know, go back and forth. Like, hey, actually is this way. This is what you could do to address it. But here, this is another thing that counters it. And you can kind of engage in like good faith dialogue and go back and forth to try and understand where they're coming from. Sometimes you might even find, something that you think is really bad, but you might hear their side of it and realize there might be a mitigation in place that you just hadn't noticed. Yeah. So don't brush things away, either engage in a dialogue and try to understand where they're coming from. A lot of times, just having a conversation is helpful.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: There'll be other times, yes, there will be pushback, and you might not make a lot of headway. And that's kind of when you start escalating and getting your leadership or your reporting chain to kind of chime in. I think having that backup is always helpful, but I completely understand that I kind of uh, <laughs> was lucky to always have a really supportive team and reporting chain was always willing to go to bat for me. Mm-hmm. And I understand that it's not a luxury that a lot of us might have in the industry. So play it by year, play it by how much support you have and also do your best, but sometimes you just have to pick and choose your battles.
1: Yeah, and then have humility, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you said right there, like you could be wrong there's a chance that you could be wrong or maybe overlooked a particular workaround or something that would decrease the severity of your findings. So
0: Absolutely. I've made many mistakes in my career.
1: All of us, yeah.
0: And I mean, that's how you learn, right? And that's how you get better. And I've learned many things from folks outside of security where they've talked about mitigations that I wasn't aware of. They've explained things about JavaScript, which I wouldn't have known about. Mm -hmm. And they knew about because they work with it on a constant basis and they were up to date. Mm -hmm. And stuff like that is always a great opportunity for us to also learn from others and engage in a dialogue and figure out solutions. But keep in mind, always present yourself as being a part of their team. Don't make it us versus them. Just go into the conversation and say, hey, let's figure out a way to fix this. Or, hey, I know we are using this particular framework, but why not use this one instead, which offers us these capabilities and kind of use language that also makes it sound like you are working alongside them.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right. That's great. You know, avoiding us versus them and like, hey, we're all on the same team. Right. At the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Cool. So let's talk about the younger Nero. <laughs> <laughs> Were you always creative when you were younger or involved in technology? What was your first exposure to a computer and things like that?
0: Oh man, <laughs> I feel so old. <laughs> I, I'd say... I've always enjoyed computers because I love gaming. I've always been someone who's gotten a lot of hand-me-down games from folks in the family. Okay. So I think gaming was probably my first foray into computers, like most people. Mm-hmm. And I think I started like Windows 95 was my first mm-hmm. uh, OS. Mm-hmm. I'd say I did get like enrolled in a bunch of like holiday or like, you know, the summer camp, computer summer camps. So I guess I was the nerdy kid right from the start. So, yeah, I learned SQL, I learned to write C, Java, right from 7th or 8th grade. Really? Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Did you have any family influences? How'd that come about?
0: So, my aunt is also in computer science. She's a software engineer. Okay. And... She is uh, currently like focusing on taking care of her family, but uh, she's definitely like someone who paved the road for herself. Mm -hmm. I would say, like, decided that she wanted to do a master's and got, spoke to her parents about it and came here, uh, did her master's. That was something which was uh, new to our family. Like, no one had moved across the world and uh, you know done a master's. so she kind of paved the way for it and definitely okay. was one of the reasons I decided that I wanted to do something similar like doing a master's
2: mm-hmm.
0: so I'd say that she was definitely like someone who influenced some of uh, my choices in life and also someone I could talk to about whether or not you know software engineering or computers or something i want to dabble in mm-hmm. but more than anything i think it's just my parents trying to get me out of their hair and, put me into our <laughs> and i think the computer one was also like in an ac and i would just not bother them so they just enrolled me in like back-to-back classes and like sent me off to it <laughs> so i think it was a very practical decision in their part that's funny <laughs> but i did take part in like some computer clubs at school where we would like make presentations or like play around on console so i would say i dabbled in computers but i'd just be the the person who would always be with their nose buried in like an encyclopedia or learning about biology and learning about like reading scientific journals on uh, genetic engineering so that was more what i did when i was younger nice but in addition to that talking about the creative aspect yeah so i do have ADHD. full disclosure that means that i kind of jumped around with a lot of different hobbies i've dabbled in like trying to learn chess trying to play a piano i was bad at it mm-hmm. and then uh, sketching debating a lot of different things but i think sketching is like one creative hobby that really stuck from when i was really from when i was young mm-hmm. so it started as doodling then i think i drew a lot of like uh, comic or anime characters and I've kept sketching since then. And when I moved to the U.S., I still kept sketching. But once I got a job, I started like sketching almost every other day. No. And it, to me, it's like a way to de-stress. It's also a way to see something come to life. Sometimes I definitely enjoy gaming or enjoy Netflix binges. But doing a creative hobby to de-stress also has an end result, you can see. Yeah. And it's very satisfying to one See that on paper and to see your progression across time. Because if you collect your sketchbooks, it's also really cool to see oh man, okay, I can see that I was in a good mood that day. I used really bright colors. Oh. So I think it's also like a way to catalog how you feel or what you're doing. But I would say that creative outlets help me de stress, help me declutter my mind. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's always very important. In addition to that, I'd say. Does it help improve my approach to things? I guess. I've always been a person who thinks creatively or outside the box. And I think participating in these like creative hobbies does encourage me to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. And you can do like, drawing challenges where you just draw a line and try to like, come up with something, which is kind of similar to what you do in your role, right? Like you look at a system and you have to figure out some way to break into it. right? And you're working with what you have. So I would say it does teach you to think on your feet, being creative in some ways or pushing yourself to be creative. But more than anything else, it's just something to declutter my mind, helps me de-stress and is really enjoyable.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. In a way, it's kind of like journaling, but an art. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, You know, someone asked me on Twitter, how can I be more creative? And I found it difficult to answer, but there were some ways. And for those out there that may be struggling to... Get those creative juices flowing. Any recommendations?
0: I'd say being creative is just like any other muscle, right? mm People often say you're poor creative or creative uh, things are something that you inherit or you're either good at it or you're bad at it. No, it's just like exercising.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's just like a muscle, right? You have to invest time in it. You have to grow it. You have to push yourself to go outside your comfort zone and keep trying. When you look at a lot of artists, yes, some folks might start out being really good, but most folks just apply, like invest time and effort in it. And honestly, I know I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but creative things are just the same. You can teach yourself, you can push yourself, you can learn from it. One aspect I will say, though, is it's just the same as what you would see in security. Mm. I think oftentimes people might look at someone and go, oh my God, they're really smart. I wish I was that smart. I wish I was born smart. Or I wish I had these innate security hacking skills. It's not like that. The more you kind of dabble in any field, you realize that. Oftentimes, you look at the end result of hard work or effort or time spent on growing that skill, and you are often, <laughs> you might dismiss what went on behind the scenes.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, it's important to take a step back and be like, this is a person who's invested time in it and as a, at the further part of their career, and you are starting. Yeah. So rather than compare yourself, look at it and say, that's where I can reach and say, I should work towards that. And apply effort and time in it, learn from others, invest time in figuring things out and work towards it. And that's the same for creative skills as well, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's just like any other skill. Invest time in it, not invest effort in it. Um, I Anyone can draw if they invest time in it. It's a journey. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. Great. Well, I think you mentioned Black Hoodie uh, and I saw that you're involved with YSYS. Mm-hmm. Can you tell folks you know, about all the groups that you're involved in and how they can get involved in those groups?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So... A couple of things. One, I volunteer to teach courses for free through Black Hoodie. I also help a little bit with organizing stuff that runs. We've hosted some Black Hoodie sessions at Google. In addition to that...
1: Can you tell us about Black Hoodie? What is Black Hoodie?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Sorry. Taking a step back, Black Hoodie is training for women by women. And it's a really cool initiative that Marian started. Uh And it's a good opportunity to provide a safe space Uh for women to just come and learn and look around and see other women. Because one of the things that I definitely felt when I first joined security, it's like going to security trainings and then looking around being the only woman in the room or right. looking at, at like 80 plus people and seeing one other woman in the other side of the room. Mm-hmm. And I always felt awkward, like raising my hand and asking questions or engaging in those training and having a place where, you know, it's mostly women teaching for women. You don't feel that awkwardness. And it's a very safe space where we're just trying to teach people skills there's no judgment right and i think marian has done an awesome job and a lot of the trainers who offer time to come and teach there are amazing and i've learned a lot from them so in addition to helping out just by teaching courses through black hoodie Mm -hmm. i also help out with besides sf cdf Mm -hmm. i've been doing that i think for two or three years now i work on it with david brandon and ron shout out to them I really enjoy writing CDF levels. Turns out that I don't particularly, like I like playing CDS, but I really enjoy writing CDF levels. (laughs) Nice. Because you have to solve your levels to do it. And that's another thing I help out regularly. In addition to it, I typically try to offer free trainings or webinars through other venues. So recently I've given a webinar called Red vs. Blue with Matt Linton, who's on the DNR team at Google. And we kind of talk about what it means to be in a red team, what it means to be in a blue team. So defense and offense Mm -hmm. and how we kind of like learn from each other. And we offered this webinar through Vices, which is Women in Cybersecurity, as well as WISP, which is Women in Security and Privacy. So I would say that all of these venues are great. WISP, Vices, Black Hoodie, if, if you're looking for opportunities. Most of them offer things for free as well. So do keep an eye out for what opportunities they publish. And if you are interested in teaching or You know, giving a webinar, just reach out to the organizers, they're awesome people Mm -hmm. and really nice to engage with. In addition to that, I would say I typically just try to go to cons and meet people and and chat with them. Like you said, either give like one-off talks and stuff like that. So if people are interested, you know, go to your local con, meet people there and definitely chat with people, see how you can help out and just pick an event, volunteer yeah. and make connections. I think that's kind of how I stumbled on a lot of these opportunities.
1: Mm-hmm. Any parting advice in addition to that? Any parting advice for those looking to get into the field?
0: Two things, don't be afraid to fail. I think uh, too often you look at things and think about it as a, either a success state or a failure state. And honestly, it's more like a journey pretty much like what you said. Uh And don't be discouraged by failures. That just means it's an opportunity for you to learn and overcome things. I will be very honest that this is something I'm still working on. This is something I struggled with earlier in my career where I felt, oh my God, why do I not know this? Do I suck? Uh (laughs) So don't go through those motions. Uh Instead, take a step back and say, I don't know this, but I can figure it out. I can fix this. I can learn this. So approach it from a growth mindset. Don't be afraid of failing. The second advice I would give you is don't be afraid to ask for help. Okay. There are wonderful people in this industry. Ask for help, learn from them. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know how this works. This is what I figured out. Can you help me figure out the rest? And I've had the good fortune of working with some wonderful people who've always been willing to learn, um, to teach things and answer my questions and have badgered them end- endlessly to learn from them. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid to do that. And I guess one last thing I would say is this is more for folks from the underrepresented groups is don't feel like you have to prove yourself Mm. if someone tells you you're doing a good job chances are like you're doing a good job don't feel like you have to push yourself to prove that you belong you don't have to just do your best and focus on yourself focus on learning honestly a lot of this is also just you worrying about how people perceive you rather than how things are.
1: Right. Wow. Yeah, that's, yeah.
0: (laughs) That went really deep.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it went really deep. It seemed like imposter syndrome was somewhere in there.
0: Mm -hmm. That was definitely imposter syndrome. And that's something I've struggled with a lot when I first started my journey in security and it was amplified mm. <laughs> when I started working with a lot of smart people. Ah. But I think it was what really helped is having a supportive team who helped me see my achievements and who would always stop me and uh, from spiraling and say, hey, stop being so self-critical. What you did here is awesome. Mm-hmm. So take a pause and celebrate your win. Yes, things can always be better, but you shouldn't take it as a negative thing. And having that sense of grounding helped. And a lot of it was just taking some time to kind of look at things objectively, framing my achievements as like, hey, if this was something another person did, how would I view it? Or just looking at things and taking stock and saying, this is imposter syndrome talking to me. Mm -hmm. Let me take a pause and just look at it a little bit more objectively and see where I'm coming from. And stuff like that is really helpful. And underrepresented groups are definitely folks who end up having a lot more imposter syndrome. Yeah. And I would say, have someone to hold you accountable, be critical of anything you say, but holding you accountable and saying, hey, is that really the case? What do you think that you could have done better? But what did you do well? And just kind of help you reason through it. But also be willing to do it for yourself and just say, hey, is this me being too critical of myself? Or is this something that actually happened? it's not easy. I will definitely admit it's not easy and it takes time and it takes patience and a lot of (laughs) self-love.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well said. Well said. Yeah. Find a partner and even they don't even have to be in the field. Just find a partner you could talk things with and just getting that outside perspective will kind of get you out of your head because sometimes it's all in your head, right? The idea just keeps circulating in your head and sometimes we have to get out of our heads.
0: (laughs) It really is. And sometimes your toughest critic is yourself. Yeah. And just having someone to hold you, like just be a cheerleader and just help you work through those things is super helpful. And plus one to what you said, you don't always need a mentor within the field. You just need a mentor who you connect with who kind of relates to a lot of things that you're going through Mm -hmm. and can help you through it. For example, when I went through a lot of struggles with imposter syndrome, talking to other people who have experienced that and who had overcome it was what really helped. Mm. Because talking to folks who have not experienced the foster syndrome, while they are definitely helpful and sympathetic and try to be supportive, sorry, they are supportive, I think talking to someone who's gone through that journey and overcome it was what really helped me because I was like, you understand what I'm going through yes, what you said, I relate to it so much. How do I fix this? Or like, how do I overcome it? So I think finding a mentor that you relate to or has gone through a similar journey is immensely helpful for those kinds of situations.
1: Yeah, well said. Well, Nero, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. And I know everyone is going to definitely enjoy hearing this episode and or has enjoyed what you said. So it was very helpful. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for having me, Evan. And if folks have any questions, feel free to reach out to me over Twitter, I'm sure my handle will be linked in the description. And yeah, keep on trying and don't give up.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much.